Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Emerging Tech series of the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Savage, and I'm very happy today to be joined by Dale Gonzalez, CPO of Axio. Dale, how are we? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Great, great. I know I literally just asked you that, but <laughs> more for the audience. Sure. <laughs> um, Dale, before we can I get into everything? Um, we've, we've seen it and announced it here at FinPro, you know, the, the recent fundraising and, um, you know, which has been super exciting for you guys in the space, but um, always a great place to start. Would you mind introducing uh, yourself, a little bit about your background and um, the Axial business, please? Yeah, happy to do that. So I'm, uh, I've started out my career as a software developer, went into management of software development teams and eventually became head of product that started a couple of companies. Starting in 2008, I got specifically into the cybersecurity space, was working with SecureWorks then, running engineering, and then I continued with them post the Dell acquisition, then went through a series of other um, startups, again, that were targeting pieces of the cybersecurity ecosystem. I was brought on to Axio to help them take work that they were doing as a services offering and turn it into a cloud-based platform to help companies perform more of this activity by themselves uh, with some um, consultant help if they wanted, but in in the event that they wanted to go full do-it-yourself, they could. The, uh, the Axio platform in its early incarnation was intended to help companies understand how they were positioned to receive a threat via the lens of one of the numerous maturity models that were out there, what the next set of things to do to advance their cybersecurity maturity um, were, and then to put a dollar value on the risk that they were running so that they could make like-for-like decisions about what to prioritize and what not. So instead of thinking about, is it worth $100,000 to go from being yellow to being yellowish green, they could say, is it worth $100,000 of additional budget to reduce our expected annual losses as a result of a cyber event by $10 million? And by being able to make those decisions, they're in a much better position to prioritize, they're in a much better position to budget and so on. Where we started mid last year was to take this same capability and provide it as a vehicle for communication to through the insurance ecosystem. So not only did our Direct customers want to be able to ask questions like, does it make sense to transfer this risk? But it's also the case that the the facts that we were surfacing made it much easier for brokers to select products as well as for insurers to decide if they did or did not want to take on those particular risks, which turns out to be super important. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. And and it's such a hot space at the moment, you know, cyber threat, cyber risk. among other topics, which we'll get into um, later on. But I'm always interested, you know, you were been with Axio since the very beginning. You know, why was this the problem for you that you wanted to then start solving? Because your backgrounds, as you kind of described, you know, within network and security, so it makes sense. But why why was this the problem within insurance then that you wanted to solve in the end? Yeah, yeah. I I think the thing that became clear to me was that uh, that, we had reached a place in cybersecurity where this idea that we could tech our way out of the problem, we could just build a higher wall, we create moats and build walls around the moats. That, that idea was losing was losing its luster, right? I, I was increasingly confident that 
this notion of defense in depth and this notion of just throwing tech at the problem was never going to solve something which has at its heart human behavior, both on the negative and the positive of the of, of the equation, and that something else was necessary, that cyber was going to have to be treated as a program that you run and manage, and that you could treat it within the conditions of, of a business decision like you would anything other, and not as a, techno a technological problem that you could just tech your way out of. And likewise, it, it was clear to me that this idea that it was not pop, that this of all risks that companies run for some reason, cyber was the one that could not have a dollar value on it that, and that it didn't make sense to try it. That was also, that was something I was increasingly questioning. So when you put those two together, hey, listen, I think it is possible to put a dollar value on cyber. And hey, listen, we're going to have to treat these things programmatically and incorporate into our thinking good business decisions about what to address directly and what to transfer, it just made sense that that if I want to help, that that's the place to go help, right? If I want to try to advance the state for all of us, that that's the place to go. Mm. So you kind of saw insurance as like insurance plus security to really, as you say, push that risk transfer and risk assessment through and, and actually commoditize it. There's this beautiful, actually, um, virtuous linkage between insurance and and security and frankly it's an, it's if you think about it right why while it's the case that many CISOs were resistant to the idea that they needed cyber insurance originally specifically because they thought uh, i i should never have to activate a policy because my defenses should be perfect and I have failed if I've not. Increasingly, they're starting to recognize that that's not the case, that it's like any other decision. You can have locks on your doors and still have a theft. Companies get stolen from all the time. They accept it. They don't intend to drive the chances of that happening to zero. So you have CISOs awakening to this, recognizing that there's an, an opportunity for them to, to have the protections that they need. And they're also increasingly looking at insurers and saying, hey, you guys know a lot about how you manage measure and quantify things because you're directly putting your dollars at risk there. So you're actually, you do better, the better you understand the risk involving ourselves with you. We might learn something. And in fact, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to come back to all of this, but I wanted to, because again, everyone in the insurance space will know, of course, Lloyd's and insurance and the Lloyd's lab, um, You've just been through that as a recent cohort. And, you know, when we talk about people going through this, you know, fast fail program within 10 weeks and some come out the other end with, you know, more ideas and, and, and more perspective. Like, how was that experience for, for you guys? I mean, we were there on pitch day to witness it. It was it was fantastic to, to we had the pleasure of meeting quite regularly. But um, how was the experience for, for you guys, um, for you in particular and for, and for Axio as a business? It it was remarkable, like from from soup to nuts, absolutely remarkable. We we I enjoyed the interactions with the other cohort members. I mean, we we interacted a fair bit, and and I got a tremendous exposure to a diverse set of of folks attempting things. Like the mentors and the mentorship structure of the program were absolutely critical to what we were doing. I I think we were we were. Um, uniquely suited to the to, to the process because uh we have insurance people on our staff we we have insurance expertise and as a result 
there was a, a fair bit less, um, oh, wow, wait a minute, these ideas that we have from outside insurance aren't going to work at all, right? Um, and more of a, hey, look, we've got some initial ideas and let's try to refine them. So I, I can't say enough about how wonderful it is that they run that program. It, I, my only complaint, quite frankly, is that it's as short as it is. I mean, it's yeah. a lot, right? It's a lot from the beginning. It's a lot to get to the end. And frankly speaking, you're sad it's over when it's over. Yeah. And the new cohort is just about to begin. Amazingly enough, we're at the second cohort of the year. Like, I'm sure there will be many, um, some of which we've just had on and some of which will be coming on the podcast. You know, what's what, what would be, do you have any advice for those that are just about to enter into that intense 10-week period now that you've just been through it? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think a couple of things, right? One is... Um, the whole point of this is to meet those mentors and, and benefit from their experience. So while it's important that you have an idea and you're going to have to pitch something to get in, you can't stay too terribly locked into it because the whole point is for that idea to be shaped based on experience from these um, from the mentors. So the the more the more you're prepared to um, to change as a result of the experience, the better off you'll like it. Um, if you go in with a very rigid set of ideas that you are heavily wedded to, you're going to see frustration in those early days. And then the other is, is do everything you can to get ready to go prior to the day coming, because it, it you think, oh, it's 10 weeks, man, you are at the midpoint before you can blink. And given that there's a fair amount of re of, of adjusting that needs to happen as a result of the mentor interaction, you anything you can do to prepare yourself so that you're not coming from a dead stop is uh, is super useful. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm sure those listening will find that very valuable. Coming back to the the problem space that you guys are in, you know cyber events, cyber attacks, the evolution of risk quantification within insurance. You and I have spoke numerous times and I think we're very much agreeable on the fact that what we see within cyber at the moment is very much what we, is very akin to what we're reading for years and years, you know, with regards to uh, climate weather events being un uninsurable. Um, but mainly because, because insurance needs data. They can't take advantage of that historical data. So from someone like you that's so baked in the space, like what's your perspective on why do you think for so long outside of the data aspects and, and feel free to include it, has the insurance industry not been able to quantify this or not wanted to and, and taken the view that cyber events are just uninsurable? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, frankly speaking, has to do with the fact that it represents, that understanding it requires a tremendous amount of tech, technical expertise and it's very difficult to be an expert in multiple things at once, right? It's now it's that's not strictly speaking unique to cyber, but because it shows up in the property market too when you think about um, engineering. But it's it is something that's important. So apart from this this technical challenge, it's it's also the case that the ecosystem itself is has a lot of things that impede it, like. CISOs don't want to tell third parties the ins and outs of their cyber program and provide folks a deep understanding about how they're currently performing their function. One, because they're concerned that if they do, that news will get out and that will somehow jeopardize them. But another is because every time someone asks you to detail what it is you're doing, you have to stop doing what you're doing to detail what you're doing. 
And as a result, right, this idea that that yet another organization wants to, to understand in deep detail the ins and outs of my cyber program was not one that was uniformly looked at as a tremendous opportunity. It was, in fact, looked at as, oh, my gosh, I'm already audited internally and externally, and now we have another one of these things. And as a result, you had resistance from the clients because they didn't want to have to do this again. You had a requirement from the insurance community to try to understand it with as little detail as possible. And you early on had a market where that was reasonably soft. And so folks would say, well, I can't ask them anything because they won't let me ask them anything. I can't know anything about them without asking things. And every time I add another question to my, uh, my application, they say they're not going to do it and they go to one of my competitors. And as a result, Nobody had the information necessary to make technical decisions about this. And so they choose alternative ways of trying to get to the, trying to get to it, right? Like by saying things like, well, maybe we can just look at business, um, choose lines of business. We don't want manufacturing. We don't want schools, but we're, we like banks, or maybe we can look at it just extreme exclusively on, um, in terms of geographic regions, forget Latin America. We'll just look at Europe and the U S and it's all because, again, they didn't have the information necessary uh, to to make decisions based on anything else. Hmm. And and how has it fared over the seven years? You know, what are the trends you're now seeing coming into what feels like a different era, as you say? You know, within insurance and treating cyber attacks as they rightly should be, which is a top priority within a risk factor. But you know. What are the kind of trends that you're seeing? And I think also my other question is, you're building these models for the insurance industry. You're you're building something without any historical data. So again, I think what have been the challenges and, and the kind of trends and how have you overcame them? And, and yeah. Sure, sure. All right. So the, I think that um, one trend that I'm seeing, right, is that it is the case that while early on in cyber times, insurers were willing to just sort of move forward without information and just say, well, we'll just attempt to use the number of policies we have outstanding and the amount of the, the gross written premium as a proxy for doing the due diligence and just try to keep those numbers small. Some massive losses have meant that folks were no longer willing to take that approach. And so there was a demand for, for, for more data. And, and as a result, products that are designed to help people make sense of data suddenly are useful products again. So that's pretty great. And um, likewise, as the market hardened, the CISOs were more willing to exchange information because frankly speaking, all of a sudden they had to. There wasn't anybody that was willing to just write them. And I think it's also increasingly the case that that they recognize that they're the same thing I did, right? I'm not, I'm not the only person in the world that thought we're not teching our way out of this problem. We have to set up programs. And as a result, they started saying, hey, listen, this is a business problem. Like any other business problem, we're going to need insurance as a way to address it. So you're starting to see more, more desire to use information as a part of the decision-making process. You're starting to see more acceptance that that, that exchange has to happen. And um, you're starting to see better tools for doing this modeling. Now, your point about historical data is a great one because we are talking, thankfully, about reasonably infrequent events. Um, and that's good news, but it does mean that you don't have this corpus of data. Likewise, we're talking about um, 
we're talking about things that change dramatically year to year. So frankly, even if we did have 100 years of cyber experience to draw from, each year is a different year with a different experience. And so the, the long-term value of something like that is very, very short. And so we, what Axios tried to do is assemble rational models for how things might play out by piecing together bits and pieces of things that people do have experience with. So while it's the case that uh, we haven't seen we haven't seen someone hack our data center and completely destroy every single server in it, we have had someone accidentally take servers offline and we can use the way that that played out in our organization as a proxy by just sort of evaluating it, what would be different about it if it were done on purpose versus if it was done by accident. So we're attempting to make use of experience that they do have as a substitute for experience that isn't present. And yeah, and, and from a tech, technological point of view, it makes sense, as you say, there's not that expertise, it's highly technical, but is it fair to say that also the reason why insurance companies are now adopting this is, is simply because even though it's low frequency, you know, it's happening more in terms yeah. of, you know, the having a conversation with someone in a similar space in cyber last week and, you know, really talking about the days of physical attacks or, or kind of, they're done. We don't see much of them, but now everything is technological. And you used a great example, you know, if somebody wants to blow up an oil rig, they're not going to fly over and drop a bomb. They're going to hack the system and blow it up internally. Um, but do you think it's still that one, the education piece, but also the insurance industry starting to realize that, yes, this is low frequency, high impact, but there's a potential for this to move into the high frequency element and if, we need to get I, on top of it. I, I'm, I am deeply hopeful that while it is the case that the frequency will go higher, it will never be high frequency, right? But you're absolutely right that, um, that we have seen dramatic increases year on year in terms of the, the bad actors trying to do bad things using cyber as the vehicle for it. The thing that makes it a little tricky is that what they do changes every year. And so what you need to be concerned about and the magnitude associated with the events as a result, changes every year. And at the same time, you've got a technological environment that is changing rapidly too. So cyber is, is, is going to be like electricity. It won't be something that you call out. It will be important to every last device in your life. And when that is true, you now open up the opportunity for a malicious person to disrupt all the things about your experience, not just the way that you interact with your phone and your computer. And frankly, if I could blow an oil rig, if I could make money blowing up an oil rig and I could do it from my desk, why would I fly out? It's not like those places, those rigs are located in, in exotic locations that I just want to go to anyway. I'd <laughs> much prefer to go ahead and just type it on my computer, make the threat, blow the rig up, and then put in the extortion demand. And frankly, it's increasingly the case that you need to. Because, I mean, if we're seeing, if you just limit your your destruction to data, it's increasingly the case that what we see is people refusing to pay. And these malicious actors are business people. They're not just going to say, well, no one pays ransom anymore, so I guess I'll go become a postman. They'll say, how can I change my business model so that people will pay? And the answer is to start to do physical damage. Because you may say, well, we'll restore the data from backup. Or, well, 
We'll just rebuild the data. Yes, it's terrible, but we will. It's a different proposition to say, well, I guess we'll have to redig that well. Mm. And, and in some cases, quite frankly, it's impossible to redig the well. So now suddenly you'll start to see these physical events. They are, the impact and the magnitude will get much, much worse. And folks will need to come to grips with that somehow in their business model and understand it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, but it is nice to see that the insurance and reinsurance, they are reacting to the, the events that have happened. And there's a chance to a massive opportunity to, to get ahead of what could be something that, as you say, probably won't move into the high frequency, but certainly more frequent than what we're seeing now. No doubt about it. And I, I think the great, the thing is, right, like in insurance as a product, setting aside personal insurance, insurance as a product is there to support business objectives and, and allow businesses to continue to operate even in, given the, the acceptance of risk. That's why it's a product. If businesses refused to accept any risk, there would be no need for insurance. And likewise, if businesses didn't run any risks, there would be no bit need for any, anyone to have any insurance. It's increasingly the case that cyber underpins all business activity. Therefore, to not address it would be effectively to say, we don't want to insure things anymore. And that's just, it's not, it's not practical. It's not pragmatic. And, and, and you're right. The insurance companies have responded by trying to find ways that they can, can operate even in a world with, with uncertainty, trying to find new tools like, like the Axio platform for addressing and providing greater certainty into that environment, as well as just to rapidly ad adopting changes that are brought about by the way that the courts are dealing with these documents and, and these cases and these events that nobody hoped would happen. It's a, I don't envy insurers. They've got a lot on their plate and a lot to try to manage at once. And there's a lot of change here that happens at an extremely rapid rate. Yeah. And we see a lot within now, as you say, quants, CISOs, you know, trying to provide that understanding of risk into dollar values, which you've described perfectly there. But going back to a more inherent issue, you know, from an expert like yourself in security and networks, you know, what are the obvious gaps at the moment that we're seeing within the cyber risk management piece from Yes, which you've explained from a quant perspective, but just simply from a, a tech perspective, you know, I'm just quite keen to get sure. your opinion. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I think let let's let's face it, right? It, I mean, the bottom line is the way that people compromise systems is by compromising other people. Like that's just the truth. And so, if you were looking for gaps in in any sort of um, any long-standing cyber program, obviously a brand new cyber program is going to have its own challenges, but any long-standing cyber program, the place where you're going to see gaps is around the people, right? It's how are credentials managed? How are they controlled? Who has what rights to do what things? Because again, to the extent that you can clamp down upon those things, you can do a better job preventing the impact associated with the theft or loss of those credentials, right? What do you have to do to log in? And how can I ensure that it's absolutely certain to be you that's logging in is the number one challenge of any single cyber program because all hacks proceed from the theft of a credential and they succeed based on the power of that credential that's been stolen. Now, it'd be remiss of me not to also point out that the cloud brings in a brand new sort of set of challenges associated with it. While it's the case that uh, at least in theory, 
It is easier to make use of cloud infrastructure and create a, a secure environment. In practice, it's it can be quite challenging because it can be unclear how these systems are configured. They have lots and lots of different moving parts. There's a third party involved in hosting the infrastructure for you with its own rules and sets of permissions. It's not always the case that it's obvious exactly how you've configured the system and how the inter interrelated permissions interact. And, and yet there's this push to go as fast as you can to get these systems up and running because they're supposed to be so much more efficient and beneficial. So that introduces a, a whole set of things around and brand new challenges for security professionals. The, the good news to that last one though, is it, again, I'm not the sole guy that's figured that out. And you found like both third-party companies that are trying to step into the gap to provide tools to make thing, the invisible more visible, as well as the cloud providers themselves trying to provide inherent tools that help you understand how you're configured as well as how that configuration is changing and how you're patched and all the rest of the difficulties there. Mm, fascinating. It's interesting that you say the, one of the biggest gaps is in the people. Um, I did want to get through an, a podcast without mentioning AI, but you know I have to bring it up now. Is, is AI the... Is it the friend or the enemy in it's, this space? It's the or, it's the frenemy. So the like frenemy. any like any technology, it, it this is the thing that you have to remember. Anything that you would do with technology to improve your sta state creates new attack surface that can be used. So while it's the case, right? One of one of the difficult things about, frankly speaking, uh, managing a cyber managing a cyber managing cyberspace is it can be hard to tell that you're under attack. And it's not because you have too little visibility. In some cases, it's because you have too much. You have thousands and thousands of log lines that are being poured into buckets and sifting through all of the normal stuff to find the abnormal stuff can be extremely difficult. Um, very, very, very challenging. And this, 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 um, seeing patterns in something that looks like it has no pattern at all is a place where AI really, really shines. Absolutely fantastic for that type of activity. Um, and it is frankly, it is capable of increasingly these large language models are capable of ingesting the combined knowledge of the internet and turning it into something you can ask questions of. So you can say, hey, how would a midstream energy provider be attacked in the cyberspace and what should I be focusing on? And you will get an answer. Now, I'm not promising it'll be the right answer, but one day it might. And the, the, the ability to do that is, is phenomenal, to use it as sort of your tech partner. On the other hand, it is itself attack surface. So you, you in fact can engineer prompts against expert systems to cause them to misbehave. And when you have done that, because the AI is so opaque to most people, it's very difficult to detect that it's been done. So if you're making use of AI systems to make business decisions, and those, those decisions aren't carefully controlled, audited, and overseen by human beings, you can trick AI into doing all kinds of things that you'd really rather it did not. And the technology behind what? you guys are building in terms of the the risk quantification tech the platform you know could you talk us through that you know from a software development life cycle to an infrastructure to tooling like what is involved in your um 
you know, platform? Yeah, sure. So we are a SaaS based platform. We are um, cloud hosted. So I'm well familiar with the, both the security pluses and minuses that you eat when you decide to put something in the cloud. It is dominantly three modules that are intended to work for the client in the, in insurance speak, the unit and a module that we're working on now that's intended for the insurance ecosystem, the brokers and, and the underwriters themselves. One module is focused on helping you describe your current state and plan the next state. So we support a handful of mod mod modules that let you see how you fit within a NIST CSF framework or see how you fit within a C2M2 or a SIS18 uh, or a completely custom one of your own. You use that to sort of establish your baseline because it's cloud hosted. You can see how you compare to your peers. You can see what your peers are doing in terms of improving their own program. And you can plot a course that makes that world better for you. You can integrate it with systems that you have in your own environment so that you're basically contextualizing the data that those things spit out through the lens of something that you often have to report at. And that means that it's an easier way for the CISO to talk about what his team is doing with everybody else that wants to know, but isn't quite as technically advanced as they are and shouldn't be. Then it's got another one that helps you define these scenarios that we talked about, which is a story about a bad day and establish expectations of the range of possible consequences in dollars should those things come to pass, as well as expectations about what controls are most important in defending the, the um, in preventing the scenario from coming to pass, as well as containing this impact if it happens. And then another module that is allows you to upload your insurance policies, overlay it on the risk that you're running and see if you've got a currently good fit or if you if you don't. So it might be, for example, that you are, you have an enormous property policy. Well, I'll give you a concrete example. We found that uh, we, you analyze the insurance policies and you might discover that the, uh, that this, that this, cloud infrastructure that you're making use of that you that is very important to you isn't covered by any of your existing policies. And in fact, you've moved your data center out from under any of your cover. So we help you see that. Or it might be the case that you have lots and lots of property insurance, but it's not prepared to deal with uh, losses stemming from cyber events because of um, exclusions that are written in. And, and maybe you don't, or maybe you don't have enough cover for the type for the financial losses. So we help you see that interaction. And then the last module that we are producing is taking all of that data and, and, and reducing it to those sets of things which insurers need to see in order to, to do a good job underwriting the risk. Because again, the, it's as important that you not show someone too much as it is that you not show them too little, right? You have to, find, you have to, you have to put this stuff together in a way that makes what, what amounts to a pretty rapid high dollar value, high consequence decision. So and in support of that, we have we provide dashboards and reports for these insurers to try to tackle these reasonably complicated technological evaluations. Mm. And your business, uh, the, the, the Axial business is made up, you know, 70 plus ish in size, um, correct me if I'm wrong, mainly cyber security experts in some form or another. You know, I know some of your team that the pitch today comes from very underwriting, cyber underwriting background, but do you regard yourself, this might seem like a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it, you know, do you regard yourself as like a, simply a SaaS company that's operating in the insurance space or very much like in that MGA realm? No, that's not a dumb question. And it gets, it gets asked a lot. We, we are not an MGA and yeah. at least as of this moment, 
It's not our objective to become one. Our, our desire is to provide a technology platform that can be used by everybody involved, brokers, insurers, underwriters, reinsurers, and the clients themselves to better understand the risks that they're running, better understand the financial consequences of those risks, and better understand the most appropriate way to address them, whether it's to introduce a new control or to respond immediately to something that's been discovered or to change policy language or to have a claim. That's what we do. And we feel like were we to say that we had a sort of proprietary interest in the way that that platform was working, it would make it difficult for us to provide it to the entire ecosystem. And likewise, it would make it difficult for the ecosystem to trust it because they'd be like, well, we know you're trying to make money with this. Won't you just use it to compete with me? Why should I buy your tool? And so as it stands right now, we're a tech platform. Now, I, I also am cognizant of the fact that that the the ecosystem is hungry for more capital and so more entrants to the ecosystem that are preparing that are prepared to provide capital it is clearly called for so i can't rule out that we would never do something it's unlikely that it would look like an mga it would, it would probably look more like an alternative form or a complementary form of capital that could be used alongside a standard insurance portfolio mm. yeah thanks for clarifying then for confirming it wasn't a dumb question no 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 um, i uh and, and i think to my kind of next point very much uh, you know you guys can move quick fast and and advise quickly build things quickly for you know the industry is, is very much a tech focused company like has there been any obvious challenges one you're fully remote from a cultural perspective you know 17 size fully remote is is you know, there's a whole episode we can do on that. But I think, you know, has there been any obvious challenges from a, a tooling perspective, from working with the team, but also because you're not really an insurance company, you're also working with insurance businesses that move super slow and are slow to get it. That's, that's well, and even that, frankly speaking, have there been challenges? Numerous ones, countless ones, both economic and not. But the number one is coming to grips with the truth of the insurance ecosystem. And that truth is, quite frankly, that it has been under teched for a long time. And the attempt, previous attempts to introduce technology have failed, often because the people that were introducing it didn't understand who they were speaking to and the problems that those people to whom they were that the people they were speaking to had. And so, oh, we're going to come in and just disrupt your way of doing business, and it's going to be so much better. And you say that to this to a group of folks that have been doing what they're doing for a long time, and they've been successful at it. And you might be surprised that these these disruptors were not met with open arms, right? And likewise, if you make assumptions about the way that their world works, that when you say them are excruciatingly naive, they will, like anyone, stop listening to you and not give you an opportunity to demonstrate or introduce your, your solution. It has been critical that we have former underwriters, former cyber underwriters working at Axio who can go and speak to people and understand things that when I started trying this, I didn't, right? I way overestimated the amount of systems that we were going to have to, available to us to integrate with, 
the data that would be coming from the insurers that could be used to train and feed these models, the tools that were present already, the time horizons in which the decisions could get made, the market dynamics that, that determine how many questions can get asked and how much information is available. I didn't understand any of those things. And fortunately, we've got folks on staff that did. So that when yeah. I said something dumb, they could go, yeah, that's not going to make it. Like you, here's how insurance people think and act. And it's all rational. They're people that make decent decisions given the environment that they're in. Mm. And from the engineers and from the, the tech people that like yourself, maybe just come in, they know it's an exciting space. They know it's, you know, it's, it's a mission that you guys are on a journey, but is there any challenges with, you know, we talk about time horizons, things not just simply not working out. Like, are there challenges keeping from a cultural perspective? And I think this is something that will resonate with a lot of insure techs, keeping people that like to ship stuff out sometimes 20 times a day, you know, to slowing it down a little bit and having to be patient. Like, is there challenges there simply, but also challenges keeping that motivation remotely? Oh, without a doubt. And I, I the other, so there's the pace difference and there's the way that the, you know, that it can look like you're not making any progress because of the yeah. way that these deals get accepted, adopted, and then rolled out. So there's that. And, but frankly, there's, there's a, this is a very difficult place because you can't get market requirements the way that you would in other industries. So you can't go, first of all, you can't just say, I don't care what the insurers think about what they do. I'm going to think about the way I would do it if I were doing it. And I'm just going to build a system that way and tell them that they should start using it. You can't do that because they won't adopt it. But likewise, you can't ask them either. You can't say to them, hey, listen, if I built a system that did these things, do you think that that would be good? Or what do you think a system should have in it? Because often they'll go, well, we don't know. We've never had any system. So how would I know what to tell you? And as a result, like engineers have a deep desire to know that when they finish building something, that it will meet the need. And the way that you satisfy that de desire is knowing a lot about who you're targeting in upfront. And for CISOs, we know it. But for in yeah. the insurance ecosystem, it's much harder. And as a result, you have to, to help people accept that we're going to have to release frequently. These releases are going to be wrong. We're going to have to retread ground that we thought we tread already. We're going to have to accept the very large possibility that things that we thought were true were not true, and we're going to throw stuff out. And we're also going to have to be prepared for the real, real fact that in some cases, the reason we haven't got an answer is because there isn't one answer. There are many. And so the system is going to have to adapt. It can't produce one thing. It's going to have to produce multiple things. And both of those things can be challenging because, you know, engineers are like, what's it got to do? And you're like, eh. <laughs> don't know for sure <laughs> here's what i think right now but i might come to you in a week so you know and the boy that coupled with there is nothing going on until there is everything going on right so you yeah everybody if i say one sevens in the insurance world to anybody that or in the u.s seven ones like Nobody's thinking about anything until we're starting to roll up on July 1st. And then everybody's got to have everything right this minute. And so you can't afford, you have to be very responsive, right? You put a system in yeah. place, you think it's working. People are like, yeah, that's probably right. Then they get into using it and they're like, it's not right. And I have to have the answer tomorrow. And you have to be ready right then. And that's, uh, 
it's a it's a challenging thing to be to trying to satisfy but it, that's why i like it hard yeah. problems fun problems and it sounds like someone once said to me we're not from he was an engineering leader you know to his engineering team and he was telling me this and he said you know we're not engineers we're problem solvers that are good at engineering um, and it sounds like you very much adopt that philosophy with an axio to keep these guys motivated with, without a doubt and and to and to tell them to keep everybody recognizing that um our objective is to learn right so anything that increases our learning and understanding of of the system the environment the players counts as a win whether or not it's accepted so the only failure is to fail to listen after you've gone ahead and done something so long as so long as you did something and learned something as a result, it's okay that we throw it all out and try all again. Like the, the bottom line is we win when our systems get adopted, made use of, and delight folks as a result. And, mm. and any one of those things missing means that we're not winning. And that's what we all strive to get, get done. Awesome. Well, Dale, I'm conscious of our time and I know you're a super busy man. So I think that brings us to the end of the episode, but it's been as I expected, hugely interesting. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I, it was an absolute pleasure. It's, it's uh, always great.